Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me today, my good friend who... Actually, I don't think I've had you on in a while. It's been a few episodes. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. So, you probably recognize that swinging sexy voice as belonging to none other than Dan from Radio Free Borderlands. So, Congratulations. You're, you're the first person to ever describe it that way. <laughs> well, you did. Actually, uh, we, we did that once on when I was on, helping you with an episode of your podcast. You're like, so, Al, where can people find you if they want to hear more of your swinging sexy voice? I thought I said sultry. I, I thought it was swinging at, well... How do you remember these things? I don't remember these things. I barely remember what I did today. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. It's just, sometimes it's weird. There's things that you remember them, you're, and you're not even sure why. Even if it's something where it's not really, you know, it seems like it's not very important, you still remember them. So, I don't know, that maybe that's a mystery that's best left for another day. Yeah, you know what? I got stuff like they like, like you, know, you don't necessarily remember stuff from like uh, gym class in high school or 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 um you know some of the stuff from geometry but I remember playing playing a, uh when we were it, it was in between some of the D&D sessions we did back in the day and I don't remember if it was Steve or Ed had a copy of a game it was kind of like a monopoly style but it was in space and you would buy Various like moons and planets, or something like that. But then, unlike Monopoly, you could you could shoot each other. I think that something was quest. I think that was Steve because I remember, I remember he. Remember too. Yeah, because he did have a board game that, um, you know, was like that where and you know where it had that space theme where you were buying properties. I don't remember mm-hmm. the shooting at each other part. And I mean, we made that up. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, board games were definitely a very uh, fond part of my childhood that I can remember. And uh, from what I under, I decided to let you choose the topic for today's show. And I understand that's the one that you wanted to discuss, uh, board that's games. something I was thinking about because, you know, a lot of people like to talk about how, oh, you remember those cartoons you grew up with is, you know, they didn't age well. Well, I got to be honest with you, some of those board games aged considerably worse than those cartoons yeah and board games that was actually one of the that was actually the first real episode i did uh because you know when uh you know steve you know my original co-host it's like back uh in the day before we got into video games and role-playing games our big you know our big thing was board games where you know we would you know, we'd just go, we'd just hang out at his house and we'd sit there and play board games for a couple hours. And uh, mm-hmm. so you wanted to discuss the topic of, well, why don't you explain it since uh, I asked you to choose the topic for today's episode because wasn't right, exactly so sure, but. <laughs> we, we we all have those iconic board games that, that we grew up with. Life, Monopoly, Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, Connect Four, you could even throw in there for the heck of it even though it's not technically a board game um i'm not talking about like the classic games like chess and checkers we're sticking with the board games and how their stock has fallen significantly in the past 10 to 15 years 
um, especially when compared to the new games that have been coming out, such as like Catan Ticket to Ride and things like that. Okay. And yeah, and I, I do know what you mean because it has gotten to that point where, uh, you, you know, you think about it, uh, board games have moved well beyond what we remember them as back when we were kids. Cause, you know, mm-hmm. you look at some of the old, uh, classic board games like, you know, Candyland. It's pretty much just moving, you know, you got a, you got a trail that you follow from point A to point B. And well, for the most part, whoever gets there first wins. Yeah. And, it's random movement trail. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes you'll have other things added to it, like, you know, shoots and ladders is a good example where it introduces a new play mechanic, um, where, or any, well, that's not a really good way to say it. It introduces a, a mechanic that's a little different than some of your older games because, you know, unlike, with like, uh, Candyland, for example, you couldn't really move backwards on the board. But with shoots and ladders, of course, you hit the wrong square and then you're gonna hit a, you know, you hit a shoot and you go back down on the board. So, um, but that- here, here's where I'm going to give Candyland some credit. Um, when you look at its target demographic, it's kids between the ages like maybe four and eight, somewhere in there, or 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 adults who just have haven't grown out of that phase. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's designed for that for that age period, and it might be talking down to these kids, but. It's kind of doing its shoots and ladders is just mind-numbingly boring. You know, it's 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 got I believe it's a hundred squares on the board, and then yeah, the ladders and the shoots or the snakes and the arrows or whatever you want to call it, depending on which how old the version is that you're playing. But it's so very basic; it can be tedious. Yeah, and. You know, one of my religious studies professors back in college, uh, just an interesting uh, use for shoots and ladders, he used that as a way to uh, teach the concept of um, resurrection in in Hinduism. Uh, now, this particular professor, I don't know if you remember him or not, Dennis Lishka? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you had any classes with him, but he was a pretty cool guy. Uh, he was a Buddhist, practicing Buddhist. So, uh, you know, he did a course of classes on Buddhism. And I think he also did uh, classes on Hinduism. And he also did class, he would sometimes help out with the core classes like, you know, world religions, you know, the 101 type classes. And he would use that as I don't remember if he used it when he was teaching about Hinduism or Buddhism because, you know, both have that uh, similar concept where there's this idea that, you know, the soul can go through different, you know, lifetimes and come, you know, gets resurrected. And, of course, you get good karma, you move ahead. You know, bad karma, you move backwards. So, well, yeah, uh, the, the, the version of Shoots and Ladders that came out in, I want to say, the late 70s, early 80s, it had those little graphics on it featuring, you know, oh, I did a good thing, and then you would go up the ladder because of it, or you did something stupid at the top of the slide, and then down at the bottom of the slide it showed the uh, negative consequence. I could kind of see that working. You know, I now that you mention it, I think I remember seeing that on uh, 
the uh, old shoots and ladders uh, board games I've seen where it would have like, you know, like a kid trying to reach up and get a cookie jar and, you know, at the bottom of the ladder, it shows him, you know, sitting there crying and there's a broken, you know, broken cookie jar there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and very effective way to teach, you know, religions that do have this concept of karma and how, yeah, you do good things, you're going to move ahead. You do bad things, you get, you know, you get sent back. But that's no excuse for terrible gameplay. Yeah, and so when you talk about a lot of the old, other old-style board games, you know, a lot of them are still around. You know, we still have Monopoly. Um, I, I would consider if 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 we're gonna if we're gonna use like really bad metaphors here, I I would argue that Monopoly is by far the uh, the Darth Vader or Lord Voldemort or Mollert or whatever that guy's name was or Voldemort. You know, spot the difference of of board games that that's a game that will that's a game that will break marriages yeah <laughs> that is true and and it, and it is it's just going in a circle you buy stuff and there's no designated real finish to it i mean at least with a game like Catan, you're the point is 10 points and you win 10 game points or um there are other similar ones with some of like the deck building games but we can talk about those later there's no real end to Monopoly, so you can just keep it going. And if you got some big jerk who wants to see everybody suffer, there was always my dad in those games. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you're going to do it. But what I find fascinating is how they've reskinned a lot of these games. Like, you know, Monopoly is a good example because not only is there your classic Monopoly, there's Star Wars Monopoly, Lord of the Rings Monopoly. Uh, Evan has the Legend of Zelda Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, then also you have other ones like uh, I know in Wisconsin I've seen Fox Cities Monopoly. Um, yeah, those are all made by a specific company. The ones where they're modified versions, like instead of because that's been supposed to be Atlantic City from the turn of the century, and so yeah, they move it to Milwaukee or Green Bay or Chicago or wherever. Yeah, so you know they have the local variations, and sometimes they do incorporate uh, new rules. Like the, I mean, I have the Lord of the Rings Monopoly. Haven't had a chance to play it yet, but um, they did introduce some sort of concept with, um, or some sort of rule involving the ring wraiths. And I remember they did that in the Lord of the Rings Trivia Pursuit as well, where um, you could get the ring, but there was also a ring wraith token that was moving around the board Mm -hmm. as well. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, but it's still it's still going around the board in a circle. Yeah. Well, square. Yeah. <laughs> so, though you said that, you know, you didn't really want to focus too much on the classic board games that uh, we know and love, but um, rather talk about um, some well, of the newer style. So, some of those, like, if I'm going to go, when, when I talk classics, I'm talking things like, like checkers and chess and backgammon and Othello and things like that. And, you know, I still play those. Those are still fun. I don't care. I still can have a really good time playing checkers. You know. Yeah, I never really got too much into checkers. I was was more of a chess guy myself. And that's one thing that is nice about chess. You know, even though I have seen the occasional variations, like one variation that's popular is, you know, for Civil War buffs. There'll be one where, you know, one side is the Confederate and one side is the Union. 
but mm -hmm. even though you're using different colored or different themed pieces, the core gameplay is still the same. Whereas, you know, like um, one game I remember, the Game of Life, um, there's a, a Star Wars version, except it's called like, I think it's called like a, a Jedi's Path or something like that, where it uses a lot of the same mechanics as the, the Game of Life we know, but, you know, instead you're a Jedi Padawan that's, you know, going about his way to become a Jedi. So it's, you know, you're basically putting this new spin on an old classic. And honestly, I, nihilistic classic. I mean, let's <laughs> take a really good look at this. Here's when you here's here's when you're starting out at life and here's where you're finishing. You're going to walk this path that everybody walks. It's not going to be much different. I and mean, we're all done. We're all done. <laughs> you know, it's like, ooh. Well, that gives me things to look forward to when you're a kid, you know? Yep. And, I, I mean, still, there is a certain charm to a lot of these older classic-style games because they are yeah. meant to be played, well, a lot of them anyway, are meant to be played in about, you know, 10, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But when you look at a lot of the newer classic-style gameplay, uh, some of the newer board games I've seen, you know, they're more or less intended to be to take you know an hour or more uh one good example uh, it's a game that i don't think you've played yet uh firefly is it based on the television show yes it is okay i've heard of it yeah i've seen it yeah because uh when when steve and i played it one time we actually only played it one time but we just did the the basic intro scenario um, and it took us, I think, like two or three hours. Now, granted, this was the first time either of us had played it. So we were still mm -hmm. consulting the rule book a lot. But, you know, and, and well, of course, we also know, uh, you know, our friend Dave, who uh, is a huge fan of the Axis and Allies game, where that's another example of a game that, you know, can take a good two or three hours. And, and actually, Axis and Allies is going to be one of those older games that I would stand up for because I think it's robust enough that it won't turn into just complete boredom like some of these other ones. Yeah, and I don't know. I've played it once, maybe twice. Not really something I'm a huge fan of. I mean, I personally like a lot of the faster-paced board games. There's um, also, well, there's a thing about Axis and Allies and Risk. Um, that I'm just going to throw out there. It's very, well, okay. So when you're playing Catan, there's a little bit of wheeling and dealing, but, you know, everybody's in it for themselves. It's it's a reasonably straightforward game. With Axis and Allies and Risk, especially Risk, although I have seen it done in Axis and Allies, there is the chance for things like two players going off into the other room while somebody else is going, and then all of a sudden they come back and they start, you know, bombarding people that they thought were their allies, you know. Um, and it's really weird playing a game of Axis and Allies, and all of a sudden it's the United States and Germany against everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, Axis and Allies, while it does have some historical value to it, it's one of those nice things where you can kind of do an alternate universe if you'd like, right? <laughs> as alternate as you're possibly going to get. Yeah. But what do you think is, is, is causing people to be kind of turned off by some of these old games? Well, honestly, I think it's because the audience for board games has gotten older. And mm -hmm. 
several episodes back, my friend Lou and I did uh, an episode, What Happened to the Arcade? And one of the things we talked about in that episode is we talked about how, well, you remember the arcades back when we were a kid, right? Well, yeah. You know, where a lot of times, you know, at least down in um in our neck of the woods, it was that, you know, that dark little corner of the mall that was kind of put in the back corner. So it wasn't really on the main, you know, the main area. That's what it was part of its charm. Yeah, exactly. And and that arcade that we knew growing up in, you know, that dark little uh, room in the back of the mall, it's evolved into things like, well, in our area here, we have Funset Boulevard, where not only do they have uh, various arcade games there, but there's a snack bar. You know, you can go there, you can grab a burger, grab a pizza. If the weather's nice, you can go outside and play a game of mini golf or bump car. Yeah, or go to the the you know the you know the batting cages, and they also have you know your various redemption games where you you know spend ten dollars to get enough tickets to buy something that would probably cost you about 25 cents, you know, and they've got laser tag and there's a movie theater there. So it's a place that you could go and very easily spend, you know, an entire day there. And one of the things that, you know, Lou mentioned in there is that we, you know, both of us thought it was a natural progression. And uh, one of the things that we both agreed on is, you know, arcades really came into their prominence, you know, in the late 70s to early 80s. So you got these kids who were maybe teenagers at that time. And, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, 10, 15 years into the 90s. Well, they're now all, you know, they're all parents. They've got, you know, some of them have children. So, uh, you know, there's also a part of that that I would I would also note. Up until probably the mid-90s, maybe 1994, 1995, there was almost, I, I don't want to say it was an unwritten rule because I'm not entirely certain that they colluded in this sense, but the games, the, the, the machines at the arcades were always just a little more powerful than they were at home. Sure, you could play something on the NES, but it was going to look a lot better if you went to the arcade, which gave you this... Uh, motivation to go to the arcade. All of a sudden, then the PlayStation comes out and the Sega Saturn. And I don't think arcades could compete with the power that they put into those systems. Yeah. And, you know, in the late 90s and even to today, one of the things that you see with arcades is, you know, they have to start to focus on things that can't easily be replicated with just a controller. Um, you know, because like Pac-Man, okay, that's a simple game. So, you know, it's not too hard to port that to a home system. Granted, you look at the Atari 2600 version, it can be done very poorly. But you very. also... What's that? Very. Yes. <laughs> but then you also look at the version that came out for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And, you know, it's not half bad. It's, you know, actually... Yeah, it actually is fairly close to the arcade. So, you know, as you started to move into the you know, the 90s where, you know, when we get to the 16-bit era, that the difference in quality between your home consoles and your arcades was getting a lot, you know, a lot narrower. So, Well, you know, one of the things they came up with then to, to kind of counter that was that the arcades, is spe- Mortal Kombat's a good, a good example, 
blood, gore, guts. Here's all of this stuff that we can't put in a home game because your mom's not going to let you buy it. But you can come to the arcade in the dark little corner and play it if you pump enough quarters in. Exactly. So, And, and then later on, you were saying kind of you got to go with the gimmicks, and that's when you got the games like you know the Big Buck Hunter because uh, having a, a one of those rifle controllers is going to be expensive. Or that you know that mech game that they have at Fun Set. Oh yeah, where you sit bubble. in this actual like yeah like bubble thing. It's almost worth the two bucks worth of quarters. Yeah, and and exactly, and that's what I mean. Or another game that was a lot of fun is there's a, a motion uh, boxing game where you put on the you know, those little glove things, and then you, you know, you punch. Yeah. Now, granted, you can do that with the Wii U with, uh, you know, the box or the Wii with, you know, the boxing on uh, Wii Sports. And I'm sure there, of course, have been other boxing games that uh, came out for the Wii. a little boxing on the Wii Fit. Too. Yeah. Um, you know, so that it, it simulated that, you know, that whole mechanic. But, yeah, for the most part, arcades had, to, in order to stay alive, well, Actually, let me go back. Not necessarily arcades, but the companies that made these arcade games, they had to start thinking of ways to make these machines that could do things that couldn't be done with a home system. So, which is why you get these, you know, like you mentioned before, that uh, that mech combat game where you're sitting in a, you know, this bubble-like thing with a control, you know, a control stick, and it costs two bucks just to play. And and, let's face it, one of your favorite games was always good with pole position. Oh, back then. oh like, yes. That was one of the first where it had a cockpit and everything. Yes, and of course with pole position, you know, you had that voice. So, but okay, so getting back to, okay, we got a little off topic then, there. Oh, go ahead. Okay, well, and that's the thing. I don't feel like then it's a little different where... These comp these board game companies, I, I think they were pretty comfortable with the fact that okay, they're selling halfway decent. We don't have to worry about it. But then all of these smaller companies wanted, you know, they they were coming in and they were being very innovative, and it got to a point where all of a sudden everybody noticed the innovations, and 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 companies like Hasbro and Mattel were kind of caught with their pants down, for lack of a better term. <laughs> you know, and I think completely that's unprepared. Yeah, and I think you do make a good point there um, where, yeah, you have the, like Hasbro and Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers, you know, they have their classic games like Monopoly and, um, you know, Scrabble, uh, you know, Connect Four, all those games. Yeah, there's they didn't really see much of a reason to, you know, to make changes to those games. But, yeah, you make a good point with innovation and in any sort of competitive field like that where there where there's a potential to have a lot of different companies yeah you need to be able to be innovative to set yourself apart from the you know the big boys but i think another reason why game board game companies have gone from developing you know fairly simplistic games to these more complex games that almost kind of border on being a role-playing game is because they realize that the audience is getting older. Like people our age, we're probably not going to be playing Candyland or Connect Four or anything like that because, well, we maybe we did a while ago when our kids were younger, but you know our kids are starting to get to that age where they're playing video games 
and they're just not interested in things like Candyland. Are you kidding me? My son is eight. He's already sick of it. He he likes playing Catan better. And let me tell you something. The little weasel, first game he ever played, he beat us all by a mile. <laughs> what he did was he start, He looked at the little card, and he's realizing, he goes, oh, the cities are worth two victory points. Everything, every time he would find a way to, to build cities. And, and he was ruthless. <laughs> Note to self. Don't, don't play, play against seven. Yes, don't play Settlers of Catan against Dan's kid. So, but yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, once you get to a certain age, you're not interested in uh, playing those games. And I'm almost wondering if, to some extent, role-playing games have had an impact on how board games have developed. Because, you know, I mean, I, I think most of the role players I know also enjoy sitting around and playing a good good old-fashioned board game every now and I, then. I would actually say both directly and indirectly very much so. Consider this. Um, if you take a look, who, who is the biggest of these independent uh, uh, board game manufacturers? You'd probably say Mayfair Games, right? They're, they're the ones who make Settlers of Catan. Um, Mayfair Games was originally a small game company that they did the Rollades line of uh, AD&D compatible stuff that was not authorized by TSR from the late 80s and early 90s. And so, obviously, this is a company that was probably heavily involved in that culture, you know, Gen Con origins, places like that. Um, so you can kind of see then these are companies that grew up with the the, the convention games. And I'm, I refer to them as convention games. I'm talking RPGs, war games, uh, collectible card games, what have you. And there was probably heavy, heavy influence by the things they were seeing during these conventions um, because now you're seeing like card games as an example uh, when you when you, when a lot of people think card games besides your traditional ones like uh, pinochle and, and sheep's head they're they're thinking like uno or magic the gathering if they're going with the trading card games or UGO or uh, uh, Pokemon but now there's there's a couple of companies that are actually making that they call them deck building games so all of the cards you need are in the box, kind of like a board game. Um, and these games are a lot of fun. So I've never played any of those deck builder type games. Are they like a so they don't really have expansion packs? So no, they do. But the expansion packs are all the same. So it's not like a randomized. Oh, this is a rare card kind of thing. I'm going to okay. give you an ex- example of one of one of the ones I've played the most, which would be the uh, the DC. Uh, deck building game mm-hmm. and there's the standard set and then there was like a crisis core expansion crisis core to a couple other ones and the guy i i know who has it you know he would add the cards in and it was all based on 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 dc universe um properties so you would pick a character card uh, I, I think some of the there was batman there was superman there was wonder woman green lantern the flash um a couple of them like that and then you start off with a certain amount of basic cards. Everybody gets these. And then there's an array of cards out in front of the table. And then the cards you have give you points to buy stuff. And the stuff you buy is worth points. And then they, it also gives you additional points to buy more stuff. The whole point of it is to get through a lineup of 
quote, villain cards. It always starts with Ra's al Ghul and it ends with whatever's on the bottom. I don't know why it starts with Ra's al Ghul, but it actually says on the card, you start with this villain. Okay. So you buy him and then you get to use him because you're, you're building a deck of, of cards in your, you know, in your hand from what's out there. Once all of the super villains are, are defeated, um, then everybody counts up the victory points that are on the cards, and that's how you figure out who won. So there's a definite ending, unlike Monopoly. So, like, if you beat Lex Luthor, obviously he's going to be worth more than just a, a simple, you know, street thug who mugs old ladies in the back alley. Yeah. There's a series of cards for the Suicide Squad or um, a couple of the minor minor villains. But then, yeah, the super villains are, 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 are yeah. Razzle Ghoul, the Joker, Penguin, Lex Luthor, uh, Zod. Okay. Things like that. Okay. So that's cool. So you said it's not like magic or Pokemon. You actually oh, know no. what cards you're getting. Yeah. All of the, you're getting the cards that are in every box. It's, you know, I think it's like 35, 40 bucks, but the replay value is, is, is high that's in my cool. opinion. Um, we have, we have the Lord of the Rings version. It actually it's the Fellowship of the Ring version. They also have a Two Towers and a Return of the King, and it's also a little similar where you, you get one of the members of the Fellowship and you get those starter cards, but they changed it a little bit. Where depending on the character you have, you start with an additional card. So if you're if you pick Frodo Baggins, you get uh, you know you get the One Ring, and Boromir gets the Horn of Gondor, etc. Okay, see. And I can, there's a couple of games I can name off the top of my head that I think they, when they developed them, they probably were at least somewhat influenced by, uh, by Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games because they're very heavy into miniatures. And that would be Hero Quest, Dragon Strike. Well, then again, Dragon Strike was made by TSR, um, Heroescape. And I would even put Star Wars Epic Duels in there. I mean, if you look at, uh, for You could example, argue Hero Clicks also. Yeah. And, well, the, the thing uh, that, the reason I think that they were, you know, influenced by it is the nice thing about those games I just mentioned is, you know, those miniatures, they, not only are they good in the gameplay itself, but if you wanted to, you could also use them in, you know, in a, in a role-playing game as well. So it's like they had this dual purpose. So I wonder if, uh, like, with Wizards, well, actually, no, it wasn't Wizards, it was Hasbro, uh, when they developed Heroescape, if that's one of the things they were thinking about where they're like, okay, you can have this miniature combat game, but we'll probably get some gamers who are going to buy these miniatures even if they never play the game because they can use it for their Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, well, it's it's the same with charged. <laughs> Anyways, it's, it, it's the same with hero clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who might just collect it because they want a little little miniature version of Spider Man. Yeah, I almost bought a whole box of hero clicks, guys, not because I wanted to play hero clicks, but because they came out with an expansion of little versions of Eddie. <laughs> I was like, I want the Eddies. Yeah, and another one I can see is like with, uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast, they have the Star Wars miniature games. I'm pretty sure it was Wizards that made it, but, you know, that would be they had one. There was an older, older version too by West End, I want to okay. say. But, but it was a long you know, time. 
Yeah, but those, you know, those Star Wars miniature games, for example, that would be very helpful for someone who, you know, maybe likes to play a Star Wars role-playing game because, well, maybe there's a ch- you know a chance you might be able to get, you know, a Luke or Han, and I'm sure there's probably common ones in there like, you know, Sand Raiders and Stormtroopers. So, I don't know, just my own idea there that they, I wonder if they, that's one of the reasons that they did start to making these miniature heavy games to like, you know, hope that some of the role players will buy them. I would argue though, also that HeroScape as an example, um, I think that also takes a real, uh, a real big uh, chunk of influence from Warhammer in games like that too. Yeah. Okay. I would admit. How so? There's a strategy part. Okay. Similar to Warhammer. Yeah. You know. I haven't played Warhammer, but uh, and I haven't played HeroScape, even though I've got a, a bunch of the miniatures. Like I said, I pretty much just use them for gaming purposes. But, yeah, I mean, there is definitely a strategy part because, you know, if you decide that... Well, because uh, the way HeroScape worked is each card uh, or each character had a certain uh, point value. So... Let's say you decide that, okay, you're going to give, everyone's going to get 500 points to build your army. Well, then you have to kind of choose between, well, do I want to, you know, have just a few characters that are going to be more powerful, or do I want to, you know, have like a a larger army and try to overwhelm someone with sheer force? Oh yeah, that definitely sounds like a a, a lot of the uh, miniature war games I've seen. And so. they did introduce uh, different types of terrains in there. Like I know they had a snow one. They had um, water terrains and stuff where if you tried to move through it, you had to roll a die to make sure you could move through it safely. But again, that going with that strategical aspect, there were certain uh, certain enemies, not enemies. There were certain characters. That could, uh, you know, that could move through those terrains without any problem. Uh, like, there's this one character I remember. I forgot his name, but he was he was dressed in like World War II era army uniform, um, and his weapons were a sword and a grapple gun. So he's kind of like if you remember Bionic Commando, where he has this extendable arm and. Yeah. You know, one of his special abilities is that... It would have been way cooler if you would have said Inspector Gadget, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like one of his things he could do, he could use that grappling gun to go over certain types of terrain. Yeah. Or some characters were flying, which meant that they could ignore, you know, certain types of terrain because they could obviously fly over it. So, yeah, I can... Are there are there any of these old school games though that you would actually stand up for and say that game's still not boring to me? Well, that depends. Let's you said old school. How are I'm we talking gonna... old, old, old for us? As in, kind of that uh, those games that that came out. I'd say 20th century games made by the uh, traditional board game companies that have all kind of conglomerated into like Mattel and Hasbro and a couple other companies. Okay. You know, anything from, like, you know, Scrabble, Clue, Monopoly, you know, the ones that, we, that, that we've been seeing on the toy, toy shelves for tens of years. Okay. So, if we're going, like, with classic-style games that have been around a while, 
I honestly, I would say one game that doesn't really get old is uh, probably Hero Quest. And because, you know, that is a fairly old game. It's not, you know, it has been around a while. Yeah, but um, hasn't that been on a print for a while? Yeah, it has. Um, I don't think. Well, and there was another game I had a lot of fun with when I was a kid called Crossbows and Catapults, where yeah. it was a fun game because you had these little blocks that you, you'd use to build a fortification for your, you know, for a tower. And it had a mat and under, there was a, a square in the center of the mat that had a picture of a treasure. And the theme was Vikings versus Barbarians. So on one hand, you had, you know, one side you had Vikings who were, you know, they had the stereotypical Viking horn helm. And the other side, the Barbarians. Uh, do you remember that ramming guy from Mas- He-Man Masters of the Universe? You ram man, yeah. Uh, the other side looked, yeah. yeah, the other side looked kind of like ram man, but with a sword and a shield. And, you know, you had your crossbows and your catapults and you would launch these discs because what you were trying to do is knock down the enemy's fortification. And in order to win, you had to get one of your pieces onto their treasure. And a few years ago, it was rebranded as or rebranded as uh, crossbows and catapults, knights versus orcs, where you had knights and orcs. And even though I haven't really played the game, um, well, I tried playing a little bit with my son when he was younger, but I still have the plastic pieces that I use because, you know, they're good generic, you know, miniatures for, you know, use in uh, role-playing, you know, because on one side you got orcs and the other side the knights could easily be bandits or town guardsmen or, you know, whatever. Real quick, cool, uh, just a little 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 tidbit about uh, hero quest mm-hmm. the the figurines the miniatures that came with hero quest those were all designed by games workshop oh cool yeah and hero quest was one of those games that i always liked because it kind of blurred the line between a role-playing game and a board game because it wasn't meant to be played well you could just play it in one sitting but you had a character sheet so after you um, you know, got through your scenario, you could mark down your treasure, your gold and all that on your character sheet, and then you could play it again at a later time. And I know it they definitely meant as more of a simplified version of, uh, of like a and d style game, e- even more simplified than basic D&D. Exactly. So, and I think that's one of the things that I liked about it is it did have that, you know, that it's not just a game you can, you know, sit down and play once, um, but, you know, you could actually make something similar to a campaign. And I remember it also had the scenario books where it had, uh, you know, the different scenarios and how you would modify the game board dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had that one, too. It was I thought it was fun. What, what, if I'm going to go with something that's out of print, I would have to go with either Crossfire. I don't know if you ever played that one. I have not. Crossfire, you had these little... Um, they, they looked like little guns, but the, the, the they pointed downwards and a whole bunch of little ball bearing sized balls. And basically it was you shoot at this thing that would spin around and try to get in the other guy's goal. So it's a little more action based than your standard standard uh, uh, board game. The other one would be Torpedo Run. I don't know if you remember this one. I've the, heard the name. I don't think I've ever actually played it. Was, the board was roughly the size of somebody's living room rug. 
and you had uh, you had a naval fleet of like I think five or six ships, and each team had a submarine. The submarine had discs where you would shoot the discs to the other side, and each of the boats had these little slots. And if you got it in the slot from way over there, part of the boat would blow off. Hmm. And the whole point was to you know knock everybody else's boats out of the water. It was a really fun game. But if I'm going to go with the classic, I got to stand up for Scrabble. Okay. I do. Because it, it maybe it's just because I have a soft spot for stuff like crossword puzzles and, you know, uh, you know, advancing one's vocabulary, at least especially with the kids and stuff. But I've never been like outright bored playing Scrabble. I've always had a good time with that one. Okay. Well, um, let's talk about some of the more modern style games. And again, let's, let's, uh, I don't know, what do you think is a good cutoff point for going from, if we had to choose a year, or a, a, what do you think is a good cutoff point for going from old school to new school? I'd actually start looking at the companies that are making them. Okay. It's once you start seeing things coming out from like Rio Grande or, or Mayfair or any of these fantasy flight. And that's kind of where I think we're seeing you were seeing the change into the the board game styles. Okay. Well, um, what's, uh, if we talk about newer games, what would you say is a newer game, whether it was made by a, you know, a major company like Milton Bradley or Hasbro or uh, an independent one? Are there any newer games that you've really enjoyed and had a lot of fun with? Yes. Okay. Uh, Exploding Kittens. <laughs> okay, haven't heard that one, but go ahead. Card, it's a card game. It plays like um, it plays like Russian roulette. <laughs> so basically, you're you're pulling cards, and if you get an exploding kitten, you're out of the game unless you have something that will allow you to defuse the exploding kitten. And the cards are all meant to be really just ridiculous and funny. We have both versions. There's the standard exploding kittens and the not safe for work work exploding kitten. <laughs> that just gets a little messed up. Yeah, my son would not want to play that game. But uh, and for me, honestly, I'd have to say one game that I've had a lot of fun with is Star Wars Epic Duels. Best five bucks I ever spent in my life. Um, now the plot behind or the idea behind Star Wars Epic Duels is it takes characters from different Star Wars movies. It was released around the time of uh, Episode 2, so you, you know, it only went up to that movie. But you had your main character, and each character had one or two minor characters. Like, for example, Han Solo is a major character, and his minor character is, of course, Chewbacca. Um, and then, like, Darth Vader. You know, major character, his minor character are two stormtroopers. Now, so it's designed where you can, of course, recreate classic uh, duels such as, you know, Obi-Wan versus Jango Fett or Star or Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. Or you could do ones that could never possibly happen like, you know, Anakin Skywalker versus, you know, Darth Vader. And it was a card-based game. Each character had their own unique deck, and each card had two different values on it, one for offense, one for defense. So if you're playing a standard card, like, let's say you've got one that's 3-4, and I've got one that's, you know, 5-1. 
Well, that you know that the number before the slash is how would the value would have if you were using it as a an offensive card, or the other value is a defensive card. So, like if you have one that's five one, if I use it to attack, it's worth five points. If I use it to defend, it's only worth one point. So you had to be very strategic with how you used your cards, but each character also had their own special cards. Uh, like one of my favorite ones was um, that you could really frustrate your friends if you played it at the right time. Uh, Yoda has a card called Serenity and or, or Tranquility, one of the two, but it basically gives you a defense of like 15 or 20, which essentially stops any attack. Um, cause then, you know, it goes on the rule where, like, let's say I play a card that does two points of damage to you and you defend with something that has a defense value of two or greater, you would take no damage. So it's really fun when you have it, uh, when you have one of your friends who's trying to use some, you know, his really super powerful attack and then, oh, Yoda uses tranquility, your attack does nothing. Um, and then there's also one I have. Oh, oh go ahead. There's one I have that I haven't played yet that I want to try too. Okay. Uh, called Trailer Park Wars. <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to really get, get a good look at it, but it looks funny as hell. And like the little game pieces are pink flamingos, <laughs> like the ones you put in your yeah in your front yard. <laughs> I kind of like the silly games. I, they're they're fun to me. Yeah, and you know games should be fun. I mean, it doesn't have to be every. Games don't have to be just all, you know, strategic and thinking about things like offense and defense and, you know, what type of characters you're going to use. Yeah, sometimes it is fun to play games that are just silly and have no no seriousness whatsoever. Oh, so and then if you t- take a look at the fact that, like, that game is obviously inappropriate. And, like, inappropriate is in more of an adult game. You laugh about it. It's not something you necessarily want to play with your kids. The not safe for work version of the exploding kittens, cards against humanity, and I think that's part of it is is that they're making games for adult audiences. Yeah, you and know? I wonder if one of the reasons that companies have started to make games based more towards adults, when I mean, of course, they realize that the board game audience, excuse me, they realize that the the board game audience is growing up, so their games are going to too. But I wonder if they think that a lot of the younger kids, they're more likely to be into, you know, like the card games or the video games. So while, of course, they're going to keep the classics like Monopoly and Scrabble and Shoots and Ladders around, they're also going to, you know, because they know there's still going to be a market for that. They realize that, hey, they shouldn't be afraid to try new things that, you know, are aimed more for the adult gamer. Mm-hmm. So I th- we're going to call it the episode to a close in a moment or two, but let's talk about, let's, so just one last question to end the episode. So are there any games you've seen out there that given the chance you would really like to play and maybe you had a chance to pick up the game, but you just haven't had the time to play it yet? Or maybe you saw people playing it at the local hobby store and you thought, you know, that looks like a lot of fun. Or maybe one of your friends said, hey, I've heard about this new game. Um, And you thought to yourself, that sounds like a pretty cool idea. So if there's a game out there that you could play, 
that you haven't had a chance to play yet, what would it be? Uh, I don't think there's any that necessarily in that vein, but there's a couple that I've only played once or twice that I'd like to definitely play more of. Um, one example in the person who, who brought this game to my attention, it, it was at a point where they were selling this game as you print it out and make your own board. Okay. Uh, Secret Hitler. Hmm. It, it It's a game of basically conning your friends. Um, one of you, you know, everybody pulls a card, and the person who's the, quote, secret Hitler, he's not supposed to tell anybody who he is, and then other people are on his side, and the three of you or two of you or whatever try to convince everybody at the table to, to because uh, there's a role of president that goes around the table, a couple of things like that. You need to convince people to pick you. So if they figure out you're the secret Hitler before a specific time frame, then that side wins. If you manage to get to become the president at least once, then we're without it just being passed. To you. I don't remember the rules exactly. That's how you win. It's a fun game. Yeah. And it involved a lot of just obnoxious laughter. Okay. Well, one game that I think would be a lot of fun to try, because I've seen people play it at my local hobby store, um, the Star Wars X-Wing games, where it's got the miniature spaceship combat. I'd love to try it, and it looks like it's a lot of fun. I just don't have the disposable income for it. Um, That's a problem with a lot of those games. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's this cartoon that a friend of mine pasted on... This is this, this right... There was this comic that a friend of mine posted on Facebook a while ago. It had a a man and his son sitting on the living room floor, and they've got you know the Tie Fighter or no the uh, the X Wing starter set. And the mother's like, "Oh, how nice! It looks like you found a game you can play together." The next panel, there's all these Star Wars toy, you know, Star Wars spaceships littered all over the floor, and the father's in an uh, an X Wing pilot helmet, and there's the model Death Star in the back, and you know the mother has this uh, you know, this disgusted look on her face, and the father's like, "Mistakes were made." <laughs> see, I I could just see that being me if I got into that game. <laughs> Here's another one that I've only played once that was a lot of fun. I'd love to pick up a copy and play it. King of Tokyo. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a. Everybody's playing a like a like a Godzilla King Kong type okay, monster. And you beat each other up. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah, because hey, who doesn't love a good uh, kaiju movie? So, <laughs> well, I and you know, again when you're talking about a game that I'd love to play again, um, I haven't played in a long time, but I have a the Xanth board game. And I've read a little bit of the Xanth series, and it's kind of this offbeat uh, fantasy humor where a lot of things in that, you know, in the game are based off of puns. And, uh, or in the, I'm rather, I'm sorry, in the novels, a lot of this stuff is based off of puns, and it's the same thing in the board game as well. So it, it's a fun game because, you know, they're, it's just really well written. I mean, the instruction manual is pretty funny to read. Uh, like, they talk about the different uh, ways you can play it. And one of them, there's a solo method. And it's like, said, like, for the solo mode, it's like, uh, okay, it's it, 
you know, you play it for as long as you like, but it takes off the, uh, you know, you don't really win it, you don't really lose, but at least it temporarily takes your mind off the fact that you have no friends. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the cards are each um, based on one of the characters in Piers Anthony's Xanth series. And if you're not familiar with Xanth, um, it's a magical world that looks strangely like the peninsula of Florida. And um, everyone in Xanth has to manifest, or they have to prove they have something called a talent. And a talent is unique to each individual. It's a, sometimes talents are rather useful. Like one of the main characters, Bink, his talent is he nullifies uh, magical attacks that are meant to hurt him. Other talents are not quite as useful. Like they mentioned one character that his talent is he can change the color of his own urine. So, you know, each of the character cards is based on one of the characters from the book, and, you know, each one has their talent, and you have a party, and, you you know, you go and you accomplish these missions. So I've only played it a couple of times, but it was a lot of fun as I remember it. One more I want to throw out there is code names. Okay, haven't played um, that one. It, I I can't really describe it other than the fact that it's a really good um, it's a really good kind of party game if you can get it four or five players together. Okay, so so any closing thoughts before we end this episode? Yeah, just just because we said those games suck don't mean you can't play them. <laughs> I mean, they, I I like to stress this, especially in my that's just my opinion. I mean, by all means, I, I'm not telling you your game sucks and you suck for enjoying it. I'm telling you how I feel. If 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 you guys enjoy these games, hey, that's cool. Uh, more power to you. And in some ways, you know, I'm a little envious that you can still have fun with them. So, you know what I mean? Yep. And so, Dan. There's no wrong fun. Yes, exactly. There's no wrong way. Well, I guess there can be wrong ways to have fun. Um, there are No wrong fun that doesn't involve hurting people or breaking the law. Yes, exactly. So, anyway, so, Dan, we all know that you're from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast. Why don't you tell us where people can find it? The easiest way is you just go to Google and search it. Okay, for those of us who don't use Google, go to Facebook and search it. <laughs> it's the easiest way to do it. And don't even go somewhere and say, well, what if they use Bing? Well, they should stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, I'm serious. Uh, no, I'm not. Well, um, yeah, yeah, you can find it on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, and you search on Google iTunes, anything like that. Give it a shot. Okay, well, thank you for joining us and hope you enjoyed the episode. So with that, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.